What are the top ways to kill a mature buck during early season? What tactics work best? And what are some mistakes hunters make during this time? With deer season just around the corner, you'll want to hear what our guest thinks about these questions and more. The Rack Factor Podcast is next. Welcome to the Rack Factor Podcast, where we discuss the factors that lead to bigger bucks and a healthier deer herd. The Rack Factor Podcast is presented by Rack Fuel Premium Deer Nutrition. From premium deer mineral to deer feed, premium food plot seed to deer attractant, Rack Fuel products maximize the health and potential of your deer herd year round. Visit rackfuel.com and fuel your herd. Our guest today makes a living out of putting hunters on big bucks. His job as an outfitter means he puts in the work and he loves, yes, loves early season for big, mature whitetail bucks. Mr. BCO, Joel Artis of Buffalo County Outfitters joins us on the Rack Factor podcast. And Joel, is it safe to say that early season is your specialty? Hands down, it's my favorite time of year. And most years, I would say it's my specialty, especially the last couple of years, we've really keyed on and figured some stuff out. And it's, I take early season hunting, like my favorite over the rut, actually, to be honest. Really, Joel, even, even more than the rut, that's your, that's your favorite. After the last few years, yes, as we've kind of honed in on our early season hunts and it's been our best hunts as an outfitter, we've actually killed our biggest, best year and our most year that opener week in September here in Wisconsin. And one of the reasons is I just, you can pattern the deer. They're still in their summer patterns and the rut is, you know, it's feast or famine. It's you're either in them and you're having great hunts, but if you're not in them, it can be slow hunts where early season you have steady action, whether it's even smaller bucks and does and the mature bucks, you know, but it's, you have steady action all the time. And that's just the biggest key for me is they're patternable where during the rut, they're not. All right. So let's dive into early season and uh, what is it about bucks at that time of year that, that make that time period so successful for you at, at BCO, Joel? So I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's, just the bucks are in their summer patterns. They're bachelored up. So usually you, you have a couple, you're not just honing in on one buck. You can usually hone in on a couple bucks on the same setup. And they're very food tolerant then where we're concentrating on food sources. We're not hunting mornings. We're not, you know, they're not betting far from the food sources. So we are basically, what I, what I tell guys all the time, we start hunting from the outside in early season. So we'll set up basically on field edges, food plots, and then work our way in later in the week if we have to, to get on acorns. But I don't want to intrude if I don't have to. If we can stay on the edges, I do. But the biggest thing is, is they're patternable and they're consistent. But as the week goes on, you can actually see that consistency going, going away. So you want to be... As an outfitter, you want to have your T's crossed here and be ready for them first couple of days because that's when the magic happens. And once they hard horn, they start every day, they start getting a little bit more inconsistent, a little bit more inconsistent. So when I say early season, I love the first two weeks. After that, they get pretty un, you know, unpatternable, so to speak. You know, you can have a week where they're there for 
five out of the seven days they're coming to that field or that plot and maybe two times in the daylight, you know, you just got to be there or it gets later in the week. And then all of a sudden they're only showing up a couple times that week and maybe not at all in the daylight. So you really want to be, you know, concentrating on your cameras coming early season for the opener. And like I said, as an outfitter, I want, you have to be ready for the first few days. So what are you looking for when you're setting up the stands for early season? I, well, 99% of my stands are set up already in the spring. And I have, a, you know, like everybody, everybody has their rut stands. Everybody has their early season stands. A lot of stands you can use both times of the year. But I look for alfalfa and beans. And when I say beans, like I plant my food plot, my beans late June, mid to late June, even into July. So I want those green for the opener. I don't want them turn yellow or brown. So what I'm, what I'm looking for is green soybeans, alfalfa, and sometimes water. But basically you're looking for the green food. And then, like I said a little bit earlier, we will go in on the acorns if, if we feel we have to. So you touched on, on water. Do you, do you concentrate much? Do you, do you put many of your hunters on, on ponds and, and water holes? Surprisingly, no. And it's, I think that's one of the biggest things that people think, you know, it's hot out early season here in Wisconsin. It can be in the eighties. We've had it that hot already. It can be in seventies, but it's also a time of year when there's a lot of dew on the ground in the mornings and even in the evenings and deer, when they're eating alfalfa, they're eating the beans, they're getting a lot of moisture that way. And honestly, I don't get a lot of great pictures in the summer on water holes and we don't kill a lot of deer on water holes early. The colder, the better for water holes because it's just like the wintertime, it gets dry and there's no moisture anywhere. The colder it gets, well, they have to go to your water holes. Early season, what we're talking about, they have moisture, they have water everywhere. So I, I do have a couple water holes and I, I haven't put a finger on why that some are really good. I get some really great pictures. This, this year, for example, I've got one water hole. I've got three different shooters that are over 150 on there right now. And I've got 90% of my other water holes. I can't hardly get a, a picture on them. So when I set up hunters, I will always have one guy on water just to make sure. I mean, I, like when I set guys up in early season, I have someone on water and I have someone on food and sometimes on acorns. And then we just see where the best activity is, but rarely on water, to be honest, early, early season. So for your exit and, and uh, entrances for early season, does that change from from later season? Exit, yes. That can be because you're concentrating on food plots and field edges mostly. So there's a high chance you're going to be walking out through the field and going to be bumping deer. And so I just stay on, quote unquote, on call with guys and I tell them if they're, you know, covered up in deer or they're going to walk out and they, where deer are, we come in there and get them with the side-by-side or a truck. Um, you know, everybody hears the saying you'd rather, you know, spook them with a the truck or a vehicle than them walking out. Entrance, it's pretty much, we just watch the wind, you know, which way we're going to walk in. And like I said, they're bedded close. So I tell guys, you know, walk in like a ninja, just, I don't care if it takes you a half an hour to walk in. Don't get sweated up and just take your time because they're not far off the field edge. 
That's good advice. Yeah, definitely. So Joel, you talked a little bit about food plots um, and food sources. Talk a little bit about uh, what you're planting at what time of year, you know, kind of your approach to food plots and food sources based on when you have hunters in camp. So if you if you're concentrating on that early season hunt, uh, the first couple of weeks, what what are you? How are you staggering what you're putting in the ground? So for me as an outfitter, I have hunters. You know, with my business, with my Wisconsin portion of it, I take the opener week in September, and I take hunters then. Then I don't really don't take anybody till the third week of October. So. I do a lot of food plots, but I also concentrate some strictly just for early season, you know, and that's going to be my alfalfa and my clover basically. And then I'll do my bread and, and my beans. And I do my beans, like I said earlier in mid June to July. Um, and then I do my brassicas, which I'm starting to plant right now. Today's, you know, end of July and I start doing my brassicas then. And that's concentrating more for the later part of the seasons towards, you know, pre-rut into later season. But to, for the early season, what we're talking about, I just basically, I plant clover, alfalfa, and I do late beans. So they're green for opener. So like, I don't do a lot of beans to concentrate for late season because I don't do late season hunts here in Wisconsin. So I don't care. I mean, I want green beans. I don't care about the palatability later on. I just want the green leaves. So I do a late mixture, which concentrates for early season hunts where I do beans mixed in with my brassicas and oats and peas. And I'll, I'll even do that into August. And what happens with that is your beans will only be a couple inches high. Well, that's when a lot of deer like the beans because they just start nibbling off as soon as they sprout. It's like candy to them. So you're, I'm only wanting the beans like a few inches high for the opener and then everything else will come up underneath that. So they mow off the beans. So that's one of the new techniques I've done in the last few years of, for a food plot is planting beans with my brassicas and oats. And I do that end of July into the first couple of weeks of August. And that's some of our best opening week plots because your beans are just sprouting and it's like candy to the deer. It's only good for, you know, a few days, but it's the prime days. So how late are you bringing hunters into your Wisconsin camp? What's, what's kind of the last hunt you'll, you'll host in any given year? The second week in November is my very last full week of hunters. And so I do the opener week of archery season. Then I really don't take anybody other than a couple guys here and there. But basically the next week of hunters would be the third week of October. Then I do the last week of October and first week of November. And then the second week of November, I take just a couple of guys. And I have, I've quit doing rifle hunts, so I'm just strictly doing archery in Wisconsin. How does that benefit your, your clients? How does that benefit your farms? Why are you doing it that way? The, so like I was kind of touched base on a little bit earlier is, you know, you want to have your ducks in a row for the opener a few days, because as they hard horn, they slowly start separating from their bachelor groups. They slowly start getting more, more inconsistent where they're not coming to the fields or plots on a consistent basis. So you have a guy in here for five weeks as me talking as an outfitter, 
you know, different than a guy that owns a piece of property. That's the piece he's hunting where he can put the time in. I've got guys here for five days. So I got to have my ducks in a row, but they slowly start spreading out and it, they're harder to hunt. Well, then after the first five days, it just keeps getting harder and harder. And then you get into what people call the October lull, October lull. And I don't want to have a paying client here then where it's going to be very hit and miss, probably more miss on your hunts. So then we just kind of let the farm sit idle until uh, about the third week of October. And I'm checking cameras and keeping up on everything in between then. But then really there's hardly any intrusion till the third week of October, which, you know, so my opener week guys are getting very unhunted deer because it's been all summer. All, you know, since last fall. And then the guys starting late fall won't have any pressure, you know, in that mid time. So quality over quantity sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons too, I quit doing the rifle hunt too, is just to save some deer. The rifle hunt is super tough and just, you have a lot better chance of killing a big deer here in Buffalo with the bow than with the gun. So I just, you know, you have a lot, I could, I can't give guys a good gun hunt. I can give them a very good bull hunt and I don't want anybody to have a bad hunt. So I just decided after last year, I'm done with the rifle hunt. Nice. So Joel, I know you use a lot of the vines and the hemp ropes. So how do you choose which one you're going to use? Whatever I feel like putting in that day, there's really... <laughs> There's no certain setup that I really want to put. I know there's, there's no rhyme or reason with it. There's no, there's no like certain setup that I'm going to specifically put in a, a rope over a vine. Um, I guess the only way I would say that there kind of is, is if I do the vines on a logging road or on right on the field, field edge, and I really want to funnel a deer past the stand, I'll put more vines in a row to lead them past the stand. The ropes are kind of random just I, I really put the ropes out more so for a visual, the, you know, the bucks, even does the deer in general will come out, look at that. And they're like, Oh, and they go to it and it gets them, especially on food plots and field edges, you know, how especially mature bucks come out and they're on edge. I mean, they're watching all the other deer. They're kind of dictating what the other deer do. And when they see those ropes or the vines for that matter, they go to them and it gets them deer to calm down. They, I mean, they go from being alert to wanting to scent check that rope or that vine and rub it in their face on their forehead and on their horns, everything. And it just, it's helps the hunter because it takes their eyes off deer, take their eyes off of the hunter. So it, it basically calms them down. And, but like I said, you can actually, you know, not that it, it's a hundred percent works every single time, but I've already set up, you know, basically I call them vine lines, hence a scrape line. And I just lay them out right down a logging road, right past 30 yards past the stand. And they'll usually hit, you know, if you have half a dozen to 10 of them, they'll hit half of those vines. And then I'll randomly just hang a rope for a visual thing to just get them to sight. But, you know, they'll hit it and send check that as well. So when you're buying the rope, like what size diameter rope are you using? It really, 
just the biggest thing is not too small. I mean, I've gone to th like three quarter inch diameter is probably about the most of what I use. I've seen people use really big stuff, which I, it, but my thing is, is I'll tape it. I want it to fray out. I want it to actually get like a big bushy on ball on the end because it's another visual. So I'll tape, I'll take tape and I'll tape it up about three inches from the end so that it can't fray anymore and come completely loose, but then they'll, they'll fray that end. But you can use anywhere from half inch to one inch diameter. And it's something easy. You can just order online and get a big roll of it. And I usually cut it in like three or four foot chunks. And then you want to hang it down. So it's like right at their eye nose height. You, you guesstimate it, but I've had it lower. It's just, just so they can see it and they'll hit it. And I just, I wire tie them. I just find an overhanging branch or, you know, even a branch way up high that I can just get a longer piece of rope. And I just wire tie it to that and just let it hang there. And, and with the vines, I, I wire time as well. That you, you want the, the vines. And, and when, I, when I talk about vines, I don't have a technical term for them. It's the vines you see in the woods that are just wrapped around trees or up in the tree branches and stuff. I just, I always carry my side cutters and I cut them and I just keep them side by side with me. But I wire tie those on overhanging branches, just like a scrape. But with that vine kind of, it you you tie it so it's past the natural branch. So it's just the vine sticking out. And again, it's a visual thing and you want it to be bouncing. When they hit it and they rub it on their face, you'll see it just bouncing up and down and they'll just, you know, they'll work it for sometimes five, 10 minutes. How long do you leave those ropes? Do you, do you replace them after a while or do you let them go? I leave them out year round. I mean, some of them, they, they, Sometimes they hit them so hard they rip, they break the branch off that you have it on. You have to retie it, or they, you know, some of them, I, you know, and I haven't put my finger on that. Some of them they hit harder than others, you know, and I, I'm trying to document that to see why, or you know, location wise, why why they're hitting one more over the other. But I think it's just their temper, you know, the temperament of the deer in that particular property. But otherwise, I leave them out year round. It's it's something they use year round. It, it's it's a good tool to help kill deer and to help funnel them. It's not a foolproof, but it's, it's also a fun thing for the hunters to watch as an outfitter. It's something guys just come back and they just, they really get a kick out of it, but it's, it's something really good for getting pictures. I mean, if you're in an area, you want to get some good pictures, just hang some ropes and some vines. You're going to get year round picture. I don't care if it's winter time, summertime, they will hit those vines or ropes. Um, I, people ask me a lot. I do say they hit the vines more than the ropes. Um, and that might be just cause I use more of them, but it just seems that they hit the vines more than the ropes consistently. Are you putting any type of scent on any of those and, uh, you know, building mock scrapes underneath them? I don't put any scent on the ropes. Um, or, or the vines. I don't do, I don't put any scent on those. I just let them take them over scrapes. I probably do a handful of mock scrapes, you know, maybe a quarter of the, of them that I put out, I, I'll make a mock scrape. Most of them, I just let them take it over. And a lot, most of them, the deer don't even put a scrape under some of them. They do most of them. They don't. Um, I still also do the cedar post in my food plots or in the field. If I can't farmer lets me, with an overhanging branch on that 
And that's another awesome early season tactic. I mean, it's still, I mean, I don't care if it's 190 inch or if it's a spike, 90% of the bucks that come in the plot, the first thing to do is they'll walk to that post. Um, not this past year, but the year before we killed a 170, a gross 170 opening night. And that buck came in with three, three other bucks and all four bucks walked right to that scrape tree and that big one because he was dominant, got there first and he killed it working the scrape. But on those, I always do a mock scrape. I start the scrape on those all the time. Any particular type of uh, branch that you're using? No, I I just try to find one that's got a lot of, it forks out a lot. So there's multiple, because they'll break them off. So I just try to find a lot that, you know, branch out a lot. And then, you know, for hanging the vines or the, or the ropes, you want a little bit more sturdy one because they will, I mean, they'll, they'll grab that rope with, I've got a video on my social media from last year. I had a buck grab it in his mouth and it was just shaking the tree up and down the branch up and down. So they'll, they'll beat them up. So you want to have, you know, a little bit sturdier branch. I use those ropes year round, but you know, this podcast is talking about the early season. It's, it's something that I, I set up on the field edges a lot to get deer to just calm down and not be on edge. And literally, like I said earlier, I mean, 90% of deer will come hit most of them before they even start eating. So it's just, it's, it gets them concentrated on that and a lot less spooky. So if people are interested in, in seeing what you're talking about with, with, uh, the ropes and the vines, you actually post quite a bit on your Facebook page. They can go check those out there. Um, you've, you've done some, uh, done some videos in the past where you're showing how you utilize those. And it, it's, it's, it's a great tactic. I mean, I'm, I'm actually anxious to, to try that on our property too. That, uh, sounds like a really cool, cool way to get deer funneling in your direction. It started out as trying to get pictures with it to, Hey, you can actually put deer where you want them by doing this. So it was, you know, a lot of trial and error, but it was, I figured out that you can actually make deer go certain areas by doing that. The biggest overlooked thing for early season, in my opinion, is scrape hunting. Everybody wants to do that. They think of that, you know, because we touched a lot about the ropes and the vines and everything and the mock scrapes and everything. But I concentrate a lot early season on scrapes. And a lot of people don't, everybody thinks scrapes are 100% during the rut. They're not. They're year-round like we had talked about earlier in the podcast here. But one of the biggest overlooked things early season is hunt scrapes. Make, you know, make some scrapes. Make some mock scrapes. Bucks will take them over. And don't be afraid to experiment. You know, like I said earlier, don't overthink things. I mean, take risks. Take, you know, try some new things. Try some fun things. It's how I learned a lot and. I, I was never a scrape hunter early season until about three years ago. Now it's probably one between that and foods, one of the top two ways to kill deer early season. Yeah, that's a great tactic. So besides what you've already mentioned, Joel, what are some other strategies that hunters can use during early season? I guess, you know, just my tips are basically, you know, don't overthink it. I, that, was, that was my big thing. I over, you know, not just early season, just in general, I over 
most hunters overthink setups, everything too much. And just early season wise, it's just, I mean, basically you concentrate on food. Don't push the issue. Don't go back in the woods unless you absolutely want to get on some acorns if it's just not happening. Um, and, you know, for younger hunters that aren't seasoned, you know, and no disrespect, but, you know, that opening day comes and they, they're excited. And, you know, everybody is for that matter. And everybody wants to get in the tree and go sit in the morning. Not that you can't kill a big deer in the morning, op- you know, early season, but it's pretty rare. So, you know, hunt smart and don't sit mornings and just concentrate on your evening hunts for the first few weeks until you get into October. And just, you know, you concentrate on food because that, I mean, they're in their summer patterns. And then, then you just rely on your cameras to see as they break away from their bachelor groups, you know, because a lot of bucks will relocate, but you'll also gain some deer too. So that's, you always still want to check your cameras and be smart about it, not do it every single day, but you still want to keep tabs on them, you know, for the first couple of weeks, at least, you know, I, I do year round, but I mean, so after that opener week, I'm still keeping tabs and I'm constant. I'm looking for already for that third week of October for the guys when they're coming then, but um, I'm kind of getting off a little bit off base or a little bit, but back to the opener or the early season, it's just, I'm not going to say it's simple. It's, it's never simple, but it's just, it's food hunt evenings and your entrance and exits are critical anytime, but they really are because they're not far from the food sources. I mean, they're less than a hundred yards. A lot of times. One of the biggest things I'm seeing guys make mistakes early season, which I was one of those guys is hot weather. Everybody sits on water holes. And I know guys we've killed big deer on water holes early season. I know guys that have, but don't, put all your ducks in a row up, so to speak, on water holes if it's hot. They have plenty of moisture other other areas early season. So just because it's hot and you think they're going to drink, don't just, you know, rely on water when it's hot cuz they're getting enough in the fields from the from the dew. Yeah, you know, and I don't say it to scare guys away from not hunting water holes, but the biggest mistake I see people do is they rely on them too much thinking that's the only place they're going to kill a big deer early season when it's hot. I I don't mind hot weather during early season. I don't care if it's in the eighties. The the deer have been moving all summer in that. So it's no different for them. Right. Right. So you talk about, you know, mature bucks, bucks in general, for that matter, they, they become less patternable after they shed that velvet, you know, each day that goes by, uh, whether you call it nocturnal or, you know, they just, you know, that testosterone's kicking in, they're, they're, you know, they're more ornery, they're less social, you know, those, those groups break up. So they, they are harder to hunt, you know, once, once that time period takes place, you've, you've observed these mature bucks for a long time, Joel, what would you say you've learned about the mature whitetail that is just coming out of velvet and he's, he's patternable, but you know, what, 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 I guess, what's the takeaway 
for a guy that's that's trying to hone in on a particular animal. You have to do your your homework leading up to the season. I mean, that's, you know, it sounds simple and that's like obvious, but the first three days are like the most critical because each day, you know, and I've, I've touched on that a couple times already, but each day they just, they get way more inconsistent and you never know. I mean, they could be, and, and there's been you know, big bucks are just, it's, Every, each one has their own temperament and their own mindset, so to speak. And some will actually, they'll be consistent for five, six, seven days or, you know, a few weeks for that matter. And you snap your fingers and they're gone. They're nocturnal. And if you're trying to still hone in on them deer during season, you know, you're going to be behind the eight ball. So that's why I said, you know, me as an outfitter, I want to have my ducks in a row by opener and basically say, you know, to each guy, here's the buck you're hunting tonight. Here's the buck you're hunting tonight. Here's the buck you're hunting tonight. Here's what he's been doing. Give me feedback after your hunt each night. But, you know, and historically, you know, we do a five-day hunt for my opener week. And the last two days, you see a big drop. Part of it's because of pressure, but that's anywhere. I mean, they just, they just had a whole summer with nobody intruding. Now there's people hunting. You know, even if, even if you're playing to win, I mean, they're not dumb. I mean, big bucks know, and they start doing that. So basically, it's just, you know, I keep repeating it, but just be ready for the opener and rely on your cameras to tell you how to hunt them as they start going away from their bachelor groups. And, you know, and as you see new bucks show up because they, they left a different bachelor group. So you lose some, you gain some, so to speak. Is their range kind of shrinking at that time? Is is that what's happening as well? You say you, they, they just drop off the radar, but I mean, what's actually happening there? Part of it is, you know, when you listen to technical terms, it's the testosterone like you had hit on earlier and things like that. But it's just, I don't know. They, when deer lose that velvet, they turn into a whole different animal. And it's just, you know, some of them after, as soon as they turn hard horn, they totally do a completely different thing. Some do it after a week, some take a couple weeks, but I actually think their range gets bigger because they were just, they early season, they got the really tight range because they're really close to the food sources and they don't travel much. And then as it gets later into September and October, they bed in different areas. They're bedding further in south facing slopes you know, they're, they're concentrating on that more. So their, their ranges get bigger. Well, that's kind of reason they get more inconsistent. They're taking longer to get from bedding to food early season. They got a five minute walk as it gets later and they're bedding further back naturally takes them longer. And we all know how big buck walks in the woods. He's not in no hurry. So it just naturally gets them out later too. It's not so much that they went nocturnal. Part of it's just takes them longer to get there. So you talked about cameras. I'm just curious. How, how many cameras are, you have out right now? Do you even know? Right now, I just added up. I have 164 cameras. <laughs> 164. And I know every one of them in my head where it's at, too. Wow. 
That's a full-time job just checking cameras. But that's also between three states. Right. Oh, it's crazy. It takes me, <laughs> oh, an hour each property just to go pull all the camera chips. But I'll tell you what, it, it's raised my game since I've done that many. Okay. Do you set aside a whole day just to look at uh, SD cards? Oh, yeah. I'll go pull until I run out of chips, and then I'll come back, and it it takes a long time to go through them, too. No doubt. So, Joel, tell us about uh, Buffalo County Outfitters and uh, and also the, uh, the other states. You just kind of touched on it. What other states are you offering hunts in? So I touched a little bit, you know, a little bit earlier. In Wisconsin, I've quit doing – I'm just – I'm strictly archery now. And like I said earlier, I do the opener week and then I do the third week of October, last week of October, first week of November, and then a few days into the second week. Um, And then I've been down in South Central Iowa since 2016. And I do two weeks of bow season there. And I do both shotgun season and the muzzleloader season. Um, One of the cool things I do down in Iowa is it, so it takes six years now in zone five where I'm at to draw an archery tag. And, you know, that's a long time for someone to wait to get a tag and only be able to hunt on a five or six day hunt. I do a six day hunt down there. So I, that's why I only do two weeks. I do the last week of October and the first week of November. And I let the guys, I just don't overlap weeks. So I let the guys the last week of October, they can come in early if they want and hunt extra days at no extra, at, no additional charge. And if they don't tag out and they want to come back the second week in November and hunt until shotgun season, I don't care. I let them hunt. I mean, you waited six years. You need to take advantage of that tag. And I won't have a guide down there, but nowadays with Onyx app and everything, and they've already been there, they know where they're going. And I've got guys to help them when they kill a deer. It's just, I just give guys every opportunity they can to kill a deer down there. And I, I mean, I do everywhere, but just it's, when you wait six years to get tagged, you know, you need to take advantage of it. And then I just this year got into uh, northern Missouri. It's really, I've got about 1,200 acres down there right now and probably going to have some more for next year. And I do semi-guided hunts down there as well. And I do same thing down there, same exact way I do in Iowa. And then I have one farm in western Kentucky. It's 200 acres. Um, it's all set up and the guys just show up and hunt and I'm in contact with them each night. I have a guy there to help them if they kill something. Yep. So right now I'm in Wisconsin, Missouri, Iowa, and Kentucky. The Kentucky one, is that, is that a do it yourself type of setup too, or? Yeah, basically I, like I said, the stands are all set up and then I have the, the hunter who books the hunt with me there. If he doesn't have Onyx app, I have him download that. I share all the stands on Onyx and it's just like your maps on your phone. You can just, he clicks on the stand I want him to go to and he gets go to and he can walk right to it. Plus mine are all flagged and bright eyed, but, and so then I'm in contact with him every single night. We make a game plan, make sure he's safe, that he's out of the woods and everything, he or she. And we just make a game plan each day and, it's the same thing there. I just do two weeks and I let the guys hunt additional. Okay. Is that just bow? 
is that everything's just bow except for Iowa, right? Oh, no, I actually do rifle and rifle in Missouri. And then um, Kentucky is just the archery hunt. Yes. And you have your uh, muzzleloader tag this year, right? Yep. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm going to have a busy fall. So I've got a muzzleloader tag in Iowa this year. So I've got two personal leases um, that I hunt near Knoxville. And then I, since I quit doing the gun hunt in Wisconsin, decided Joel's going to treat himself and go back up to Saskatchewan. So I'm going to Saskatchewan the week of our gun season here in Wisconsin. I'm going to go hunt a week in Saskatchewan. Nice. Nice. You, you hunted there in the past, right? Yeah, actually. So I, I bought Buffalo County Outfitters back in 2014. And I, before I bought BCO, I did a lot of outfitted hunts in the Midwest. And I did, I've done Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, a um, bunch of the Midwest states. But, and there's just something, Saskatchewan, just that big, gargantuous timber is just i don't know there's you hear no it's just you and the outdoors you hear nothing else it's just it's the getaway is just awesome up there and the deer there i mean it's it's all day long i mean it's like they don't have like a prime time in the morning and evening it's all day you know any time is good and they have some giant bodies up there don't they yeah and and those night those chocolate covered colored on their racks it's just they're they're just a unique animal and and actually you know with covid they they had two years of no hunting so last year was the first year of full hunting and oh i didn't even think of that so they there's going to be some giants up there no kidding and my outfitter that i'm going through actually is yeah and he actually did a 150 minimum on a 10 point anything 10 points or bigger is minimum 150 and if you don't tag out, he reimburses you a thousand bucks towards next year's hunt. And it's just, and talking with them, just, he said that those two years of not hunting hurt him financially, but he said the deer herd needed it. And he said, it's, it's pretty awesome again. So you talked a little bit about, uh, the minimum up there in Canada, a eh? what, what do you do on your farms, Joel? Do you have an age or a size restriction? Um, and kind of what are your management goals for your properties? So in Wisconsin, I do a 130 inch minimum. And I have about eight, 75 to 80% return clients. So, you know, I just ask them, you know, if they shoot a 130, just better it after that. And you know, I get some guys from the East Coast that if they see a 130 to them, that's like seeing a, a 170 because they don't see deer over 40 inches. Iowa, I do a 140 inch minimum. I just got a new property this year that I know the the neighbors, I know the area. This particular farm has not been hunted in about 10 years, so I'm making this my true trophy property and I'm doing a 160 inch minimum on this property and I'm only doing three guys one bow hunter he gets it for the whole year one shotgun hunter he either does first or second shotgun season you can hunt the whole you know 
however many days it is, and then one muzzle loader, and he gets it for the whole season. But it's a 160 inch minimum, so I'm pretty excited about that. And Missouri, I am right now. I'm I'm 140 minimum, and but it's brand new to me this year, so I'm running a lot of cameras and just gonna kind of see, you know, if I have to, you know, I'd like to go higher to be honest. Or if I have to lower it, just I want to see what the quality is. It's, it'll be a learning experience in Missouri this year. And I actually, with the Missouri thing, because it's going to be a learning experience, I've got two groups of bow hunters, the guys that hunt with me every year. So I told them, I said, you know, I don't want to call a guinea pig, but you guys are going to be my eyes and ears and give me feedback because I won't be down there, you know, to guide because I'll be in Wisconsin and just... I want to, you know, it's going to be a learn. I keep saying it's going to be a learning experience for Missouri this year of how I want to manage it for future years. Absolutely. Well, Joel, we're at the point of the show that we call the lightning round. We're going to throw some rapid fire questions at you. Just answer whatever comes to the top of your head and have a little fun with us on this. And uh, are you ready for it? I think so. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Question one. What is your favorite state to hunt? Iowa. Why Iowa? Iowa is just the, has incredible deer all over. And it's actually, I I hate saying this because the guys down there don't like it when I say it, but it's easier to hunt than Wisconsin because it's just, it's way smaller woods. There's way more natural funnels and the food sources. It's just, it's easier to pattern and figure deer out down there than it is in Wisconsin. It truly is. Not that they're easy to hunt, but they're just easier to figure out. And Southern Iowa, in my opinion, between there and Kansas, there's not much better for a big deer. Definitely would have to agree with that. All right. Next question. What is your favorite tree stand snack? Oh, I'm going to say you're going to laugh at me. But the little fruit uh, that little kids eat all the time, the fruit snacks, little fruit snacks. My pack is full of them. (laughs) All right. And finally, what, in your opinion, is the most important factor in killing a big, mature whitetail buck? Pressure. Least amount of pressure as you can. And... You know, that's hard with an outfitter because you have guys, but you just got to, you know, if I'm hunting on just a a property on my own, you still got to keep pressure down. And as an outfitter, I keep pressure down, you know, the best that I can. Pressure is probably the biggest thing that'll push a deer away or push a nocturnal. That's a good answer. Yeah. All good answers. All good answers. Okay, Joel, how can people find you on the web or connect with you on social media? Social media is Buffalo County Outfitters, and I I don't have a separate one for each state, so it's all under Buffalo County Outfitters, and I distinguish like every picture or any article or, you know, any post, I should say, I actually tell you if it's Wisconsin, Iowa, Missouri, so it's not people don't wonder which one's, you know, where it's from. I make sure that they know. And then my website is www.buffalocountyoutfitters.com. Um, and to be honest so that everybody hears this, I do, I update my social media 
almost daily. I mean, not every day, but a lot. And the best way to follow BCO and to see what we do, uh, you know, and just in general is follow me on my social media. Cause I, I, I update that pretty much every day. Awesome. Well, Hey, Joel, we know that helping hunters be successful is what you do for a living. And you are always a wealth of knowledge and very generous in sharing it. So we really appreciate that about you. Thanks a bunch for joining us on the Rack Factor podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Joel, for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back on again just to see here how uh, your hunts went, but also, you know, how how your guys in, in camp do this year. Well, I, like I said, I'd gladly be on here anytime. And I wish you guys, you know, you two good luck this fall and everybody listening out there, good luck to you guys as well. And, you know, hopefully you learned something from this, you know, not that everything I say is, you know, textbook or perfect, but it's just, it's things I've done and has helped me. Thanks for joining us on the Rack Factor podcast presented by Rack Fuel Premium Deer Nutrition. Listeners of the podcast can enjoy 20% off Rack Fuel Premium Deer Mineral, Feed, or Food Plot Seed by entering the code FACTOR, that's F-A-C-T-O-R, at checkout. Visit rackfuel.com now for 20% off premium deer nutrition products and fuel your herd. Hey guys, to celebrate the launch of our podcast, we are having a review giveaway. So if you found value in our conversation today, please share and write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps us get found by others in the hunting community. So write a review, take a screenshot and email it to steve at rackfuel.com. We will pick one winner to receive a Rackfuel prize package as a thank you. Good luck.